<laughs> that is one big pile of shit. Uh, this could be it. We may be in some multiverse where I don't even exist. Don't knock rationalization. Where would we be without it? Yes, yes. Yes, without the use. To take them, take them out, take them down. Do your, do your stuff. Life uh, finds a way. Hello and welcome to episode 35 of The Complete Works, a deep dive into the career and films of actor Jeff Goldblum. My name is Mike Smith and joining me on this journey into the wondrous world of Goldblum is my friend, co-host and fellow Goldblumaniac. Mike Decrucio. How you doing today, Mike? Uh, I'm doing great with an asterisk. I'm okay today. But uh, by the time people listen to this, I, I don't know how good it'll be. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is a Monday before Election Day. Election Day is tomorrow. Yeah. At the time of recording this. That, so that dawned uh, on question me, mark. That dawned on me earlier today that we were recording this podcast on the Monday before Election Day. And this podcast will be released on the Wednesday after Election Day, which is <laughs> only a two day span. But so much will happen in those two days. Yeah. The world will be a vastly different place. We could be in Mad Max Fury Road by that point. Who, who's to say <laughs> what's going to happen? Uh, so, yeah, it's just kind of crazy to think. But, like, so much will have happened by the time we finish recording this podcast <laughs> that we're going to have to catch up on Twitter and stuff. It's going to be it's going to be nuts over the past couple, uh, next couple of days. So uh, stay safe out there, everybody, and vote. Please yeah, vote. Please, I hope you have voted already. Yeah, I guess because, yeah, <laughs> if we're releasing this on Wednesday, then this... <laughs> I mean, we did say it last week. We did say it last week, so we're, we right. met our quota, but still. Uh, I hope everyone voted, but, you know, we... Uh, so this podcast can serve as one of two functions for people in this coming week. Basically, uh, if Biden won and people are relatively happy, uh, then this is like a... Oh, it's like a nice reward. You got a new yeah. Mike, Mike and Mike talking about Goldblum podcast. And if the other thing happens, uh, this is your salvation. This podcast is your escapism. <laughs> right. <laughs> For the hour, at least. Right. That's what we're that's our purpose this week. I think we the takeaway to that is that we really missed out on brand synergy op opportunity to name it. Mike and Mike talk about Goldblum. Um <laughs> But either way, Goldblum Pod will be here for you. you exactly. Know? Yeah. Goldblum Pod will be here until at least Bad Max Fury Road happens. After that, we right. don't know. <laughs> we don't know what's going to happen. Once we no longer reliably have electricity. Yeah. Uh, it's a big question mark. You know? Once Mike and Mike are pitted against each other in the search for clean water. <laughs> all bets are off. become addicted to it. Uh, <laughs> yes. But in the meantime, we are talking about a Jeff Goldblum movie today, and uh, we've talked a lot over the last few months about Goldblum's early 90s, because that's the period of time that we've been covering, uh, that he went overseas, filmed a bunch of movies in England and France, and seemed like we were pretty much done with that period as Goldblum returned to America and started appearing in movies like Deep Cover and The Player. Uh, but you know how wonky release dates can often be, especially when talking about films made in a foreign country? Sometimes it's a full year before Americans can get a glimpse of a movie that opened in Britain. Uh, so even though we had already seen the likes of movies like like Mr. Frost, Twisted Obsession, and The Tall Guy, we ended up waiting a little longer for the movie we're talking about today. And guess what? After today, there's still at least one more of these uh, overseas <laughs> Goldblum movies uh, that we're going to have to talk about, and we're going to get to it soon. But in 1992, Americans got to see Jeff Goldblum in a new movie from Australian director Ben Lewin. Or at least some Americans did, because the movie only opened in New York and L.A., <laughs> And ultimately made about $160,000 in the States. It uh, was not exactly a box office hit. Uh, came and went without much fanfare and uh, is sort of an obscurity in Goldblum's career. But today we're going to dive deep into it. This is The Favor, The Watch, and The Very Big Fish. I need a little favor. Please. A little favor? Just tell them you're me. My name's Salman. Salman Pinkowski. Okay, here we go. Watch if you can make him wipe that miserable expression off his face. What's your name? Frederick Chopin. What a beautiful name. What kind of a fish is that? Oh. A very big fish. Come home. Don't I know you from someplace? I need to talk to someone. Oh. 
Okay. It's it, it's quite simple. The earth will move for both of us. Really? Where did you get that watch? I believed in a woman. It's the same old story. My name isn't really Salman. It's Louis. Your name, please. Franz. Schubert. I love you. If I find her? Three strangers. I'm really confused now. We made love. I'll kill her. Joined by a simple favor. Do it for me, please. Connected by a fancy watch. An expensive watch. And bound together by a single passion. They knew life could turn on a twist of fate. They just never dreamed it could get this twisted. Bob Hoskins, Natasha Richardson, Jeff Goldblum, Michelle Blanc. I just saw someone trying to walk on the water. It happens. Now, the movie was directed by Australian filmmaker Ben Lewin, whose story is actually fascinating. Uh, ben Lewin was born in Poland in 1946, literally a year after World War II. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Which is kind of nuts. Uh, his family moved to Australia when he was a kid, and when he was six years old, he got polio. Uh, managed to survive it, but it forced him to use crutches to walk for the rest of his life. Uh, and he started studying film in Australia during the 70s, ended up working on Australian TV for much of the 80s, from there, he went international working on film and TV in Australia, America, England, and France. And in 2012, uh, he wrote and directed The Sessions, which is a movie uh, in which John Hawks is paralyzed from the neck down due to polio and uh, hires a sex surrogate played by Helen Hunt to finally find out what sex feels like. Do you remember this movie, Mike? I That sounds very familiar, but but no. <laughs> Uh, I can say that I have not seen it, but I uh, had heard good things about it at the time. I remember seeing the trailer for it at uh, and the Spectrum Theater in Albany. I would see the trailer for wow. that one a lot. I used to go. That was my indie theater back in Albany, back in the day. Uh, that was my original Roxy Theater, which was the indie theater near my house in Montana. Uh, That's right. The, the Spectrum Theater was the indie theater near my house in Albany, New York. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, the Sessions was a big festival hit. It was an Oscar hopeful. It only got the one nomination, which was for Helen Hunt, for Best Supporting Actress. But still, it got there. So in the early 90s, Ben Lewin went over to England and wrote and directed this movie, which is part rom-com, part absurdist drama, and sometimes shockingly dark. And since Jeff Goldblum was in the area, uh, he was cast as a character known only as the pianist. Every time someone asks him his name, he gives them a different famous composer. He'll say like Johann Schmidt or Chopin or something. But Goldblum's not really the lead of this movie. That honor goes to Bob Hoskins. Uh, and this is like a couple of years after Roger Rabbit came out. So this is like kind of peak Hoskins territory. This is like Roger Rabbit. He was in Brazil. He's going to be in Super Mario Bros. I mean, this is peak Hoskins right here. Peak Hoskins, maybe. <laughs> uh, he's playing Louis Abenard, a photographer who falls in love with the same woman that Goldblum loves. Uh, that woman, Sybil, is played by Natasha Richardson, who I think many will know as the mom from The Parent Trap. Uh, that's kind right. of her biggest role in the States, probably. Uh, she was also Patty Hearst in the Paul Schrader Patty Hearst movie uh, and the star of the original movie version of The Handmaid's Tale. Uh, and I think She's also possibly more well-known for her death now. She died tragically and suddenly from a head injury uh, during a skiing lesson. She was uh, Liam Neeson's wife, and she died in 2009. Oh, right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That was a, a huge uh, story back then. Now, like many of these Goldblum Europe movies, uh, the rest of the cast is mostly made up of a bunch of French actors who have been in a million things that I've never heard of. Uh, <laughs> but there are a couple of names to throw out there. First of all, Michel Blanc, a French actor-director who made the critically acclaimed Summer Things, plays Norbert, Louis' boss, Angela Pleasance, a British actress from the British 1984 version of A Christmas Carol, and who briefly appears in Scorsese's Gangs of New York, uh, plays Elizabeth, Louis' sister. Artist de Penguin from movies like Henry and June and Amelie appears briefly as St. Francis. And finally, Jean-Pierre Cassel, who appeared with Jeff Goldblum in Mr. Frost, so Goldblum reunion right there, uh, he plays Zalman, Louis' actor friend, uh, who he impersonates when he meets Sybil for the first time. So the movie was written and directed by Ben Lewin three years after his previous film, an Australian thriller starring Judy Davis called Georgia, and three years before his next film, Paperback Romance, which was a rom-com about a woman with polio uh, who breaks her leg and is treated normally for the first time in her life. I think that's actually a really interesting thing about Ben Lewin's career. So he, he used his uh, disease, having recovered from polio, and like, incorporated that into his movies. Uh, yeah, that's pretty... I mean, it makes a lot of sense. That's a pretty... I, I, I guess... 
was gonna say that's a unique experience, but I, I don't know if it actually was. I mean, polio is pretty prevalent until the vaccine. Sure. Um, so, but that that is interesting that he gets to uh, include that in so many of his things. And I just looked it up. Uh, Jean-Pierre Cassell is Vincent Cassell's father, because I wasn't sure. Oh, hey, how about that? I did not know that, Look actually. That. Uh, so, yeah, and uh, Ben Lewin's most recent film, by the way, as a director, was the 2018 war movie The Catcher Was a Spy, uh, starring Paul Rudd, uh, which I've heard not great things about, but I have seen many people watching it on planes. Uh, so, <laughs> so there's that, I guess. I feel like I had never heard of The Catcher Was a Spy, and then I was on, like, a Delta flight, and I was, like, kind of scrolling through the movies, and I saw the poster for it, and I saw Paul Rudd's face, and I was like, what? Like... <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> like, I feel like I should know if Paul Rubb is in a new movie. Uh, and then I clicked on it and it looked, you know, like a like a war spy movie. And then I never ended up watching it. But like, I would see people watching it on Delta flights because I would fly back and forth back in the before times before COVID. Uh, right. <laughs> you know, I'd fly from Montana to New York every once in a while. And every time there's always somebody in my vicinity watching The Catcher with a Spy. Mm hmm. So it might be like the definitive plane movie of 2019. <laughs> throwing it out there uh it was like that and mamma mia 2 were the two movies that i saw most often <laughs> um, that tracks honestly yeah as for the box office like i mentioned before not really a blip in the u.s outside of la and new york it was released in those markets on may 8th 1992 a weekend which doesn't appear to have any major new releases which is surprising because now that's like prime summer movie real estate right there may 8th yeah. the weekend after a marvel movie comes out i mean you gotta put something in there <laughs> uh, you know, there were a few smaller movies that opened outside the top 10, including Crisscross, a Goldie Hawn drama and Wild Orchid 2, Two Shades of Blue, uh, which was an erotic thriller that is apparently completely unrelated to the original Wild Orchid. <laughs> I, one, I can't believe there's a Wild Orchid cinematic universe that I didn't know about. Not that I've ever heard of Wild Orchid, but that's incredible. Yep. And why is everyone obsessed with Electric Boogaloo? Because... A deeper shade of blue. What was it? What was this? <laughs> Wild Orchid Two: colon, Two Shades of Blue is the Two uh, Shades of Blue is a <laughs> much better subtitle that should be used on everything. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, there you go. Those are the ones that opened this weekend. Uh, Basic Instinct was number one at the box office in its eighth week of release, uh, and from there, White Men Can't Jump was number two. Beethoven at three. The Player popping in at number four. Hey, we just covered that one. Uh, a movie called Folks was at number five. Wayne's World in its 13th week at number six. Uh, Split Second, uh, number seven. My Cousin Vinny returned to the top ten. Uh, it's back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's number eight. Deep Cover at number nine, which we wow. uh, also just covered on the podcast. And Sleepwalkers uh, ends the list. So, again, a lot of the same movies that have been in the top ten over these last couple of episodes because all these movies were released around the same time. <laughs> <laughs> wild uh the imdb plot synopsis for the favor the watch and the very big fish which by the way the best title uh possibly <laughs> of any of the movies that we've covered on this podcast so far i mean <laughs> i mean it tells you everything you need to know there will be a favor there will be a watch and there will be a very big fish uh and it's yep. and, and it even tells you it's british because favor is spelled with a u uh <laughs> <laughs> everything you need to know exactly uh the imdb plot synopsis for this one reads uh, and by the way, this is a user submitted plot synopsis uh, because there wasn't any official one on IMDb. A farce. Hoskins plays a photographer who specializes in religious pictures who searches for a model for Jesus. He does a favor for a friend and finds himself doing a voice track for a porno movie with Natasha Richardson, as one does. Uh, Hoskins <laughs> finds his model for Jesus and Jeff Goldblum and a romantic triangle begins in which Goldblum finds adoring crowds believing him to be Jesus and then begins to believe it himself. And that is submitted by John Vogel right there. So thanks to John for putting that one into IMDb because this movie is obscure enough where IMDb doesn't even bother to put a plot synopsis. Right. So yeah, going into uh, the favor of the watch and the very big fish, Mike, what did you expect going in? You knew this was part of the Goldblum in Europe saga that we've covered <laughs> yeah. on this podcast so far. What did you expect going in? What were your overall thoughts on the movie? I mean, going into it, yeah, I mean, the the Euro Goldblum period or whatever, we have to come up with a, a fun name to call this era. You know, th this kind of felt like it might be... Could, could go either way, I guess, is how I kind of went into it, as a lot of these movies uh, have been for this era, for these Euro movies. Uh, I mean, Bob Hoskins is in it. I knew that much, and I didn't really know anything else. So I was excited because I kind of just love Bob Hoskins in general. Sure, yeah, Bob like, Hoskins he's a great, is the best. Yeah, he's a great actor. Um, it was pretty funny. Like, I mean, 
My overall thoughts real quick is that like, it's fine. It's OK. Like it's not, it's inoffensive. It's got I got a couple chuck chuckles, uh, like one or two, like actual laughs out of me. So mm. that's enough, you know, for these kind of movies sometimes. Although it did. It did have the uh, the dreaded like, oh, I need to go to the bathroom. Let me pause. There's still 45 minutes left um, <laughs> moment. It did have that. So that's a, like, you know, a bit of a negative. Uh, <laughs> overall. Uh, I'm surprised to hear you say that because this movie is less than 90 minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. Um, overall, like, so that that's my overall thoughts. And um, I was surprised that Hoskins, like, you know, I kind of know him as, you know, the gangster, you know, Roger Rabbit, Long Good sure. Friday or whatever kind of guy. And he's like, like a putz in this movie. Um, <laughs> like, you know, he's he's just this like weird, like uh, odd, kind of odd, uh, nervous fellow type character. And that was actually a lot of fun for the most part. Like just that, that kind of against type in my brain um, kind of character that he's playing here. And yeah, so like, I mean, it's fine. You know, it's it's a good it's a good old time. I feel like it gets it's got that kind of like absurdist, you know, British comedy thing going a lot. Uh, particularly, you know, the very big fish bit I'm sure we'll get to. Uh, sure. <laughs> a lot of things like that. Um, and just the plot overall is like just bananas, right? Like he's this photographer for this art dealer who's making religious art to sell to the church. Uh, yeah. And then he gets like conned into buying this woman, all this stuff. And then there's this Jesus is, is Goldblum Jesus. He's the, been the literal devil before. Um, <laughs> now true. he's literal Jesus, baby. Um, and, then, and like just, you know, shenanigans ensue. So, I mean, like I said, overall, it's fine. I, I kind of laughed. I laughed a couple times and I wasn't mad about it. Like I was on something like uh, beyond therapy or something, <laughs> something along those <laughs> right. lines. Um, so it's fine. You know? OK, it sounds like I enjoyed it more than you did, because I, I thought I really enjoyed I felt like I really enjoyed it. Actually, I, when it first started, I, I wasn't sure if I was on board, you know, just kind of like the first 10 minutes or whatever. I was like, OK, I'm not sure this is really working for me. Uh, and then once the movie had like the weird fake sex scene between Bob Hoskins and Tasha <laughs> Richardson, I was in like from that point forward, yeah. I was like much, like much more into the movie. And uh, I felt like the movie kept escalating in really funny and interesting ways. Uh, and Bob Hoskins, man, I mean, he like I, I'm also a huge Hoskins fan, a Hoskins head. Uh, if you will. Uh, and he's somebody, you know, he's a British actor, but yeah, I, I think it, I'm pretty sure he's British, right? He's a, he's a British guy, yes, right? Yes. yes okay. Yes. <laughs> he's British, but like in American movies, he was always like that gangstery type guy, uh, who was doing that. Kind of, I feel like I think of him the most in who framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah. Uh, because it's an iconic performance. It It is genuinely like, I hold that performance up. as like one of the top 10 performances in American cinema of all time. <laughs> he's amazing in Who Framed Roger Rabbit because not only is he, you know, not playing British and he's playing this like, you know, down and out kind of, you know, private detective noir type thing. He's also acting against nothing for the entire movie and making it yeah. all completely believable, uh, you know, and th this is, you know, 1988. Like they, this very early kind of technology to do this kind of thing. Uh, and he just completely crushes it. There are actors today who like do this kind of stuff way more often than he did, where they're interacting with nothing with CGI and stuff. And they don't do it mm -hmm. half as good as Bob Hoskins did in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. He's amazing in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's a, a weird uh, thing to point out. Like, I never really considered that about Who Framed Roger Rabbit, that that was new. Nobody was, could do that yet. Yeah. Uh, or was it? Not many people, at least. Were right. Doing the, that. Like we're there was against nothing. You know, like there was occasionally like stuff like in Mary Poppins where there would be like, yeah. like little cartoons and jump jumping around. But they weren't like really interacting with them in the same way that they were in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, where they really build the whole cartoon world that he is reacting against. Uh, and it's he's so good at it. This it was such a great movie. <laughs> I want to watch Who Framed Roger Rabbit right now. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's pause the recording. We'll be back. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, yeah, Bob Hoskins is great. And he's and he's great here. I think Natasha Richardson is really fun, too. Uh, I think the movie is often very funny. I think for a while it kind of keeps you guessing about what her motivations could be, uh, which is kind of fun. And it goes to some very dark places. There's some dark jokes in this movie. Yeah. And I really and I really dug that about it. Like it has like just this kind of you know, dry, dark British streak. I think it's kind of the same way. Like there's certain jokes in the tall guy that are also pretty dark. And I feel like it's just kind of like that's that's British comedy writing, I guess. That's it's a little bit different yeah. than American comedy writing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and we talked about that with the tall guy about um, the director whose name I forget. Uh, uh, Mel Smith. Mel Smith had like the background and the writer that was uh, uh, Richard Curtis. You're talking about Richard. Yes. I forgot the movie that he made. Uh, Love Actually. Uh, Love Actually. There we go. I got there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but like about how they had like the sketch comedy background uh, and like that kind of shine through in tall guy and I, I, I not that not that 
the favor of the watch and the very big fish has a particular like sketch comedy feel to it. But that I feel like it's similar just to, like you said, British comedy in 1990 uh, yeah. yeah, or 91 era. Yeah, there's there's a, a through line there. Yeah. And it's a great trio at the center. I think Natasha Richardson, Bob Hoskins are good. Goldblum is really good in the movie, too. I think he's yeah. uh, doing something really fun and like playing a really weird character. And it doesn't really even enter the picture all that much until the halfway point of the movie. Uh, although he does get a lot of good stuff in this really extended flashback sequence, which I'm sure we'll talk about because that might be mm-hmm. the best sequence in the movie. Because uh, yeah. it's just so it's so absurd and so funny. Uh, so what did you think of Jeff Goldblum in The Favor, The Watch and The Very Big Fish, Mike? Um, I was a little nervous at first. I mean, that flashback sequence is amazing and great and perfect. And he's very good in the movie throughout, uh, you know, when he is once he finally enters the movie. But that yeah. flashback sequence is where I was like, oh, is this sort of just kind of like an extended cameo? Because I knew he was he's even credited like he's like an Jeff Goldblum as the pianist or whatever. Yes in the opening credits. Um, so I thought that was going to be it. Like he was in it for five minutes and I was like, Oh, that was fun. But like, okay, it's another one of these episodes that we're going to have to do. Uh, yeah. and then he's, he's there for the whole, basically rest back half of the movie. Cause you know, the, the whole flashback sequence ends with, and he gets out of prison tomorrow. Um, right. which is hilarious. And throughout his like transformation from, I don't know, like, you know, this kind of just, sad, weird, lonely guy at the beginning of the flashback to, like, the Phantom of the Opera by the end of the flashback <laughs> where he's, like, and he's, like, making all these weird faces and stuff when yep. the violinist shows up. Uh, well, you know, while we run through the whole thing, we'll explain it. Um, and then he becomes, you know, Hoskins is Jesus, uh, you know, for his portraits, and he is so much fun. I don't I, I don't know. It's such a strange Goldblum to me that we're watching here. Uh, it is a weird one, yeah. Where he... You know, like he he's doing he's not really given the chance to do the Goldblum persona a whole lot. Like he doesn't have a whole lot of dialogue. He doesn't have a whole lot of stuff like that uh, with where he could do the stutters and the, all the stuff that he does. So he's just kind of this like comedic menace, if that <laughs> makes sense, because uh, he's like very kind of creepy and scary. A lot of the times he's on screen Sure. where he's like, you know, you're going to pay me two fifty an hour. And if it's not agreed on by the time I blow my nose, it's five hundred an hour. <laughs> And then he like does this sniffle and everyone's like, oh, um, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's really good in this movie. It was it's a interesting entry into this like Euro era Goldblum stuff. Yeah, I think he accomplishes a lot with his facial expressions in this movie specifically, because especially in that flashback uh, that shows him and Sybil meeting and like their kind of sort of courtship. He maybe speaks like two or three words in the entire thing, but like yeah. his face uh, especially when the violinist shows up and it's like he like him reacting to stuff is so good uh, yeah. in this movie. And then when he's thinking that he's Jesus and like you can see like <laughs> this sort of thing going to his head more and more as the movie goes on, uh, which is really great. So like, he just reenters the picture halfway through and he and he is playing like a downtrodden guy who starts to believe he is actually Jesus. Uh, and it's it's a really fun to see Goldblum kind of play this really absurd thing, especially like you mentioned, like I, I didn't even connect it to Mr. Frost, how he had played the literal devil uh, be- like before in one of these Euro Goldblum movies, uh, yeah. which I guess is the official name of these now, the Euro Goldblum <laughs> movies, uh, which, by the way, you could tell this was filmed around the same time as all those movies because Goldblum has long hair again. Uh, True. Yeah, good point. <laughs> Um, I thought I, the dead giveaway for me was that it was Paris, but I thought it was London and that it's revealed that it's France. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's because it's, it's a bunch of French actors playing like all of these supporting roles. But then it's Bob yeah. Hoskins, Jeff Goldblum, Tasha Richardson, the leads. Uh, but Bob Hoskins name is like Louis Abunard. Like he's a, right. like a French name that he's doing. So, yeah, it's it's like a weird combination of the two. <laughs> Of the two mm-hmm. things. I think I the movie is considered a British. Actually, I think it's British and French because I think the production companies like when you watch when you watch the opening credits, they were both like one was in France, one was in Britain. Yeah, I wasn't really sure until I think that scene when he's talking about how much they're going to pay Goldblum and they're like, we're going to pay you in francs. And I was like, oh, they're in France. Look yeah. at that. <laughs> <I knew. laughs> there you go. Uh, and then I think. Yeah. And there's another scene where like you see somebody rifling through an envelope full of money and I believe it's French money. Uh, yeah. that they're looking at. So there's that. Uh, but yeah, so how do you think this role fits into the roles that we've seen Jeff Goldblum play so far, Mike? Um, I think the you know most obvious connections are a lot of the other uh, Euro Goldblum movies. The, uh, you know, tall guy, I think, you know, kind of rom-com, although the tall guy is more like overtly comedic, but this has a lot of uh, 
aspects. I mean, the title to it, <laughs> the, the sure. favor of the, the watch and the very big fish sounds like a fucking Monty Python skit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that one um, framed. Um, oh, let's see what else I wrote down. Beyond Therapy and Into the Night. Just like I said, these kind of just com- generally comedic roles. Yeah. Um, even though this one in particular, Goldblum has more of a supporting role. Uh, and I also did connect it to Mr. Frost because of this weird mystical thing going on. Yeah. And he's you know, he's the antagonist in Mr. Frost, but also the supporting role in that. Yes. But yeah, that's actually interesting. He's playing the antagonist in Mr. Frost, who is the devil. And that makes right. sense. But he's also the antagonist in this movie and he's playing Jesus. Uh, <laughs> which is crazy. Ooh, commentary. <laughs> yeah. Maybe Goldblum's just anti-religion. Who's to see? <laughs> who knew? <laughs> Uh, that's probably, probably shouldn't just throw that out there. <laughs> uh, but yeah I, yeah, I think totally this movie is very similar to the tall guy. Just same dry British wit, same occasionally dark jokes some moments of weird absurdity. Uh, I also had frames down there because yeah, you're right. Uh, uh, Goldblum going to jail for a woman, a British woman, uh, and then encountering her again years later. Uh, so kind of in the same uh, plot structure. Uh, also, Goldblum stabs a guy with a fork in this movie, uh, which we just saw happen in deep cover uh, in, our, yes. in our last episode. I did note it was the second straight stab, fork stab movie. Yes. Can we go for three? Will we get a third one in Fathers and Sons, which is the next movie that we're talking about? Uh, we'll find out, I guess. Uh, and also wanted to mention Unexpected Source. This is the next on-screen Goldblum death. Uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> the did sixth not- death. Yeah, the sixth one. Did not expect to see that happening with uh, the favor of the watch and the very big fish. I started, I started keeping track of all the uh, the Goldblum deaths uh, that, were, that were getting Good. on film. Uh, so that's Body Snatchers, Silverado, The Fly, Mr. Frost, Deep Cover, and now the favor of the watch and the very big fish. I was not expecting this movie to add to that death count, <laughs> but it I, certainly uh, did. <laughs> when I was writing uh, my notes, or, or, you know, I take notes while, I watch it, while I'm watching it, and then after the movie ended, I was like, Wait, Goldblum died on screen. (laughs) We saw saw him go in the water and then drown. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Strange. Kind of nuts. Kind of nuts. And maybe the funny, I mean, easily the funniest uh, Goldblum death that we've seen so far. Uh, Just especially because of how it's handled immediately after his death. It's so good. Uh, And we'll talk about that in a little bit. I think right now, let's just start running down the movie scene by scene, kind of starting from the beginning here. Uh, So the movie opens with Norbert, uh, who is a, Louis boss uh, showing the Catholic church what they've been working on. Right. And it's showing them like the slideshow with all their photos and things like that. And then uh, Louis interrupts with a goat, like the goat, like <laughs> bursts into the room. You know, it's like disrupting the whole thing. He takes the goat back and there's a photo shoot upstairs that he has like a bunch of animals going crazy. And like the goat is humping the one guy who is pretending right. to be the, the apostle or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. There's like a fun, like ADR line. He's like, I don't want to get pregnant. And, like, <laughs> yeah. That kind of things that that's like the setup for like Louis and like what his job is and all this stuff. And this is like when this was happening. This is when I was feeling like, all right, I'm not sure like how into this movie I am. This is like kind of funny, but it's not like really like really cracking me up the way it it feels like it should be. I mean, what was your take on this scene, Mike? Yeah, I mean, it was pretty funny. I mean, it's like goofy and awkward. And I had a really good chuckle uh, towards the end of that scene. Right. So in the beginning um, that the the boss, uh, the guy that's like showing the the uh, cardinal or whoever he is and the and the mother superior, uh, like some of the pieces they have in their gallery. And he's like looking at looks showing him the statue. And it's this ancient whatever. You know, he's making this big spiel about this statue. And then towards the end of that sequence, when when uh, Louis gets a phone call, he's standing in front of a table full of those statues. Uh, yeah, which is hilarious. That was when I was like, oh, it's this kind of thing. OK, I see what's <laughs> happening here. Um <laughs> Yeah, and, and it's just kind of goofy and silly and, and that whole thing, uh, you know, with with uh, St. Francis getting uh, humped by the goat and, uh, and all right. this stuff and the birds flying all over the place and the dog attacking the li- stuffed lion. Fun, fun times, you know, yeah. this was kind of where, like you said, it kind of sets the mood for like what this is going to be. Uh, and I was not expecting like that was when I, when I had the thought where I was like, oh, it's Bob Hoskins is this um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like what? Yeah. Uh, so, there, so that was fun. Wasn't there a similar scene in The Sentinel where like there's a photo shoot and like the animals start going crazy? Am I am I making that up in my head? Um, no, that is exactly yeah because that's that happens, right? the photographer. Yeah, and like yeah. the swans attack him or some shit. Or, right. Yeah. 
Yeah, so there we go. Another connection drawn back to the Sentinel. Uh, but yeah, so that photo shoot happens and it's, you know, a big, crazy scene. Uh, Louis walking home and he spots a very big fish of, <laughs> yeah. of the title. The first of the three parts of the title comes into play uh, with this very big fish. Uh, and so, you know, he's just walking by and he's like, oh, what kind of fish is that? And the seller's like, it's a very big fish. And he buys it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> And that's the fish. What do you think the fish symbolizes in this movie, Mike? I think uh, Louis Louis aspirations for like what he thinks he can accomplish with his art. Right. Because mm-hmm. the 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 boss is constantly like, you got to find Jesus. We got to go for the big one. Like, sure. no more. You're saints. We're done with this shit. And he's saying, like, I haven't found the, the perfect face yet. And he, he uh, buys the very big fish and he brings it home. And his sister, I guess, just like yes. processes it into mush and he has to eat it. And it's gross. Uh, <laughs> And it's like his his acceptance of his lot in life, you know, Mike? Sure. Yeah, I can that's, see that. I, I feel that's like my uh, a, English degree showing. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I mean, there, I feel like there's a religious significance to the fish just with just using Jesus and having the right. fish as the thing. What is it like? He feeds like the people 40 loaves of bread and a million fish or however the right. fucking thing goes. It's been many, many years since I went to CCD uh, <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> But, you know, there's uh, a, some, something to that, I think, where it's like it's sort of like foreshadowing of like the things to come uh, with Goldblum playing Jesus, uh, even though at this point, like that's not even a factor. We we know that he's seeking a Jesus, but right. we, we, ha- we don't really know that Goldblum's going to be Jesus, theoretically. Uh, so, yeah, he buys the big fish and uh, he goes over to Zalman's house because uh, he wants Zalman to play John the Baptist in their photo shoot. But Zalman is sick. Uh, he's like literally dying in, right. <laughs> in bed. Uh, he's sick. And so, you know, he has an acting job the next day that he wants to go to, but he can't because he's too sick. So he asks Louie to sub in for him uh, at the job. And Louie's like, well, I-, I can't do this. I'm just a mere photographer. And, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, it's Bob Hoskins acting very uh, like un, un- Roger Rabbity. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's basically it. But yeah, so he asks Louis to sub in for him. Louis goes home and that's where his sister is. She's crazy, I guess. Like she's got crazy eyes, is holding the big knife and she cooks the big fish into like this mush, uh, yeah. like you mentioned before. Uh, and the, the sister shows up like one more time later on in the movie. Uh, and both times I was like, OK, like there's stuff in this movie I really liked. But like everything up to this point, I'm like, OK, this is fine. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, that was so weird. That whole like every both times that she's there, it's like. I don't know. It felt like like that kind of like, um, you know, like suburban gothic thing. Like we kind of talked about in Earth Girls Are Easy or like in, you know, whatever those kind of like Edward Scissorhands and stuff like that. Yeah. It's just like, what what is this? She's just like putting an entire like swordfish into a, like a meat grinder and, and it's just coming out slop and they just eat it. And it's yeah, like, but it's implied what? that she I think it's implied that she has some kind of like mental issues or whatever, because like when he's leaving, his neighbor asks him like, oh, how's your sister doing? And it's like, oh, well, she's much better. Thanks. And she like, keeps walking, yeah. stuff like that. So it's just it's really weird. And I feel like for that to have worked, like there needs to be more of it just to like m- explain it or at least go like more absurd with it, I guess. Like, I feel like it just is. And it's not. Yeah. Like, quite there yet you know well then the second the second time she shows up when she puts that like yellow spoonful down and he finds the feather and then he looks at his canary cage yeah. and it's empty like that was pretty funny but that like it makes funny. it makes no sense though like why is this here <laughs> yeah it's a little all over the place there but then this is where the movie starts to really click for me because louis goes in to do zalman's job uh and he meets sybil natasha richardson uh in a recording booth uh, and they have to record the the voiceover for a sex scene together. And this was the first moment that really made me laugh a lot uh, yeah. because, because he has no idea what he's getting into. Like he like he has no idea what this job is. And Zalman never really explained the details to him. So he just kind of shows up and he's in the studio. He's in this voiceover booth. He meets this woman uh, and they're just sitting there. And like these images pop up on screen of these people having sex. And he's so like repressed and proper and he's like oh oh british like <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and so she starts making these sex noises to like dub over the sex scene uh and then he he starts to do it too and they get like really into it uh, and it's it's like they're actually having sex uh but they're not they're just sitting at stools like next right. to each other uh but there's like a real connection that forms between the two of them and they light cigarettes after <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's yeah. really good <laughs> Yeah. And then after that, when they're walking around, I like they go for a walk at the park or whatever. And he's like, well, you know, I've never done this before. And she's like, well, I would never like I, I couldn't even tell. Like, um, 
And he's like, no, no, sodomy. Um, yes. <laughs> it's just fucking hilarious. Um, yeah, that whole scene is great, especially because you don't really know exactly what's happening yet. Like, you just kind of see his face uh, yes. like when it starts, uh, and then she starts <laughs> making the noises, and you're like, oh, this yes. is what's happening. And Hoskins' uh, face is so good. His eyes go, like, super wide, and he gets, like, nervous and, like, <laughs> yeah, like, all that stuff. It's great. Yeah, fun times. So the thing is, he's still pretending to be Zalman. He has not told her that his name is Louis. Uh, he's still pretending to be Zalman, uh, where they're going for like a walk in the park afterwards. And he takes her to like this waterfall that like he thinks is a beautiful place. And it's a romantic place. And they go for ice cream and things like that. And then she tells him the story of her love affair with a pianist played by Jeff Goldblum. Uh, and so basically she was a waitress at a restaurant that specializes in birthday parties. Uh, and it's like this whole flashback sequence. This goes on for maybe like 10 minutes. Yeah, uh, like this, this whole thing is a long story and she goes into it uh, and she's a waitress at this restaurant. This this like, spoiled kid who's, you know, at the head of this birthday table uh, named Griselda, by the way, <laughs> in case you Which, weren't sure. <laughs> yeah, just a great spoiled kid name. Uh, so yeah. She's the birthday kid uh, and she calls Sybil over and she's saying, like, why isn't the pianist smiling? And it's like, he's spoiling the birthday party. Uh, this, this is my spot on impression of Griselda, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, he's spoiling the birthday party, right? <laughs> uh, so she wants Sybil to get Goldblum to smile. And if she does, she will give her this watch that she has on her wrist because she got a better one for her birthday. So now she can get rid of this one. Uh, and this is where the watch comes in uh, to the title, which, by the way, the favor of the title is Louis impersonating Zalman to go to the to go to the right. thing. So now all three elements of the title have been introduced <laughs> to the yes. movie. And at this point, none of them really matter after this. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so if she if she does this, if she's able to get Golden smile, this little girl will get for a watch. Uh, and so she goes over there and she's talking to Goldblum. She's never talked to him before in her life. Uh, doesn't even know his name. Uh, and, you know, she's saying, well, there's this little girl over there. She has a really great line. I was like, there's this little girl over there and she's a bitch. I wouldn't piss on her if she was on fire. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but she's offering me to give you this really nice watch if you just smile. And Goldblum like turns around and has this like forced grimace on his face. Yeah. <laughs> Which is really great. And then turns back around and just like starts sulking again. And she's like, what's wrong with you? Did your mother die or something? And he goes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that got the biggest. That was my first like very big laugh uh, for yeah. me. <laughs> uh, and so she kind of like backs away. Um, but this like intrigues her. And so she like becomes fascinated with Jeff Goldblum uh, and she tries to seduce Jeff Goldblum. Uh, and that's when she finds out his mother actually died five years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but he's just been like in this existential funk ever since. And she's still fascinated by him and she wants, you know, to make him happy. Uh, so she's trying to seduce Jeff Goldblum, but uh, she discovers that she's on her period. So they have to wait four days. She knows that, you know, her period lasts four days and when it's over, they can have sex. And it right. gives Goldblum like the first hope he's seen in his life in five years. Uh, <laughs> basically, <laughs> like Goldblum like looks up like, really? You know, and so the next four days, it's like Goldblum playing increasingly amazing piano. <laughs> She's right. like, on the first day, he was magnificent. And it's Goldblum just going nuts in the piano. She literally faints because the music <laughs> is so good. <laughs> it's it's the best. And, you know, she just describes it. And, like, and the next day when he played, oh, I couldn't even describe the feeling. And, like, as she's walking with Bob Hoskins, like, water erupts from the fountain by- yeah. <laughs> behind her. <laughs> it's like the sex scene in The Tall Guy. <laughs> yeah, it really is. This is like, but I love the way she's just like equating music to sex yeah. uh, in this scene too. And it just like does all that stuff. And like, so just every day the piano playing gets better and better. And she's so, so much more sexually interested in him. And then on the last day, this violinist shows up uh, in the restaurant out of nowhere. And it's also incredible because he's seducing her with the violin music now. And he's like yeah. going across the restaurant and like leaning up against her and like up on the piano as if they're having sex, but he's just like playing the violin. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Yes. And of course, Goldblum is getting angrier and angrier as this is going on. And this is where Goldblum's like facial expressions really start to come in because he's just like so appalled and so shocked. Uh, and then he gets so angry that he attacks the violinist as he's playing, uh, smashes the violin on his head, stabs him with a fork, stuffs a lobster down his throat. <laughs> Which also had a very funny, like when he takes the lobster, you hear one guy go, hey, that's my lobster. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then like smacks him with an on fire frying pan and lights his head on fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it's it's 
this is the best sequence in the movies to me. I mean, again, it's mostly and it's Goldblum mostly not talking. It's mostly music driven. It's it's really great. Yeah, yeah. That whole the whole flashback sequence, the whole thing, uh, is just like hilarious and beautiful and sexual and weird uh, and funny. And the the whole um, like you particular the four days that they're waiting, uh, where they're just like fucking by playing music together uh, or she <laughs> he's playing music at her um and like just like you said her fainting into like the dessert table and stuff um <laughs> is hilarious um and then just the, the whole thing like i said like he, he like has this like fan with the opera moment like when he finally says like this is enough and he like slams the the you know cover on the keys to the piano yep. and he makes this g- gross grimace and like face at the camera uh and then just attacks him uh, it was it's it's so unexpected. I guess in this movie is just full of unexpected turns where all of a sudden we're having a sexless sex scene and then followed up with a music sex scene. Um, yeah, it's, it's fun times. Yeah, that's true. I mean, for a movie that has a couple of like sort of sex scenes, there's never an actual sex scene in uh, yeah. the Watson Very Big Fish, which is kind of interesting. So Goldblum goes to jail for three years uh, after this because, you know, he attacked a guy in a restaurant. <laughs> Stabbed him with a fork. <laughs> Yeah, stabbed with the fork and smashed it with an on-fire frying pan. Uh, and the thing is, she reveals he's being released tomorrow. Uh, and she's conflicted about what to do. She has no idea. And and Bob Hoskins, who is like enraptured by the story, like he's it almost feels like he's lost all romantic interest in her. He's like, you have to go to him. Like, he's, yeah. so, he's so involved in the story now. Uh, and again, she still thinks he's Zalman, by the way, uh, right. and, and will think he's Zalman for the rest of the movie. She never actually finds out that his real name is Louis by the time the credits roll. <laughs> Doesn't she get his card? Did I miss that? She gets his card and she goes over there, uh, but she never meets Louis there. Uh, oh, right. Yeah, like yeah, at, yeah. At the very end of the movie, when they meet up, she's still calling him Zalman. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and so, yeah, so Goldblum goes to jail for three years. He's being released tomorrow. And, uh, you know, she wants to go meet him, but she has other commitments. Her grandfather is in very poor health uh, and she wants money to buy a dress for her to go meet Jeff Goldblum. But she needs that money for her grandfather's medication. And in fact, she actually lost all of her money in a card game because she was trying to like win enough to where she can do both. Uh, and so Louie decides to buy all of it for her. She buys her the medication and then he ends up buying her the dress. And then he also buys a coat for Jeff Goldblum for what he arrives out, out, of, right. the, out of the jail. Uh, and then so she tells him, hey, you know, I-, I would really like to not be alone. Could you meet me with him tomorrow? Uh, and so he, of course, agrees. And Louis is like, yes, I will go do that. Uh, and so he meets he goes to meet her to see Goldblum as he's released. But she never shows up. Uh, he's waiting there on the bench for a couple of hours and, you know, he's trying to figure it out. And then he goes to the jail uh, and mixes him up with another guy who had just been released. Uh, he like right. accidentally and the guy's like, get out of here, like, you know, that kind of thing. And then he goes back to the where they were the day before. Uh, and one of my favorite jokes in the movie is here where he goes to the ice cream shop and he's talking to the ice cream man. He's like, well, I was just in here yesterday. Like, could, did you see this woman who was here with me? And the ice cream guy's like, I wasn't here yesterday. The man who was here yesterday is dead. Yeah. <laughs> just shenanigans like because i love too. Yeah. like right before that right, he, he meets that guy and they like go to the diner or whatever the, like the, the wrong person and yeah. he's like oh yeah it's like a waiter comes over and he's like oh yeah you're special order sir and he like takes the cover off the tray and it's a gun and that's when bob hoskins <laughs> like Whoa, and he gets up and runs out like uh, Zoyberg, yeah exactly yeah. uh basically he just gets up and runs out uh and then he goes to the, the ice cream shop and the guy's like, the guy from yesterday is dead. Uh, it's just like everything that's the worst possible version. It starts happening. Yes, exactly. Uh, and so, yeah, he's so confused. He doesn't know why she abandoned him. Uh, and then as he looks across the street, he sees the coat that he bought for her in the shop window. Uh, so she has returned it uh, in exchange for money. And so he realizes, like, I've been conned. Like this woman told me this amazing, incredible story uh, and then ditched me at the last minute. And, uh, you know, still, like, just wanted to get a bunch of money from me. That that seems like the direction the movie's going to go in. Like, oh, it's going to be about Jeff Goldblum and Bob Hoskins maybe teaming up and like fine. Or at this point, you don't even know Jeff Goldblum's going to reenter the movie. You just think right. like he could be like this fictional thing in the story. But we don't know. Uh, and so you're thinking like, OK, the rest of this movie must be about him trying to find this woman, getting his money back or whatever, like figuring that out. Uh, and so Louis goes back to work and he's about to get fired because he can't find Jesus. He wants to move on to John the Baptist where they can do that instead. And Norbert's like, nobody gives a shit about John the Baptist. They want <laughs> Jesus. Jesus is the guy they want. And then they look out the window 
it's raining outside and Goldblum is in the window uh, and he's got the long hair. <laughs> he's got the beard and he looks just like Jesus. And it's this revelatory moment yes. for Bob Hoskins, who, again, at this point, does not know that Jeff Goldblum was the pianist in Civil Story. Uh, he, he just thinks this is a guy who looks like Jesus. This is amazing. Uh, and they bring him in and, you know, Jeff Goldblum is, you know, malnourished and he's just been released from prison. He has nowhere to go. Uh, and they put him on the cross and he's like, and in one voice, God said, my God, I'm so hungry. <laughs> he's like shouting. Yeah. I mean, I think he even sees Goldblum like in a flash of lightning out the, out the yes. window. It's like the most religious imagery kind of thing ever when he's when he realizes when he sees him out the window and he realizes that's the guy. The whole, that whole sequence is very fun. Yeah, it's really, really good. And so Goldblum is their new Jesus. He's going to be the face of all their Jesus photos from this point forward. And, you know, he gets a decent amount of money for it. Uh, and Louie and Goldblum start to bond a little bit. You know, they uh, they go out for drinks and stuff like that. They start talking about their past a little bit. He's asking them, like, oh, what put you this way? And he's like, I believed in a woman. And they're they're both talking about Sybil without realizing that the other one is talking about Sybil. Yeah. There's also this really great uh, dream sequence that Louie has during this scene where they're at the bar. Uh, and he has a dream sequence about meeting Sybil and they're having breakfast together. Uh, and he's telling him all. And she's, he's telling her, like, all about, like, oh, my name isn't really Zalman. My name is Louie. And I... Uh, do these religious photos for these for the Catholic Church or whatever. And she's like, I find that especially fascinating. And he's like, what is it you really do? And her answer is, I make strawberry jam for orphanage. <laughs> <laughs> Louis is just such a sad boy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like that's his ideal, like the ideal person, the person he's like idolized, like idealizing in his mind. Like that's her secret job is she yep. makes strawberry jam for orphanages. It's perfect. And so the next scene, you see Sybil, you cut away to see what she's up to. Uh, and she's actually recording another sex scene with another actor and yeah. she's not into it. It's not the same. It's not the same. It's not as good as, as it was uh, with Louis slash Zalman. Uh, and, you know, the other actor, like after leaving, it's like, so was that good for you? Or like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, yeah, yeah, that was fine. That was fine. You know, uh, I, I'm not going to call you again, though, please. And, <laughs> Uh, which is great because again, fake sexy and it's all voiceover for this right. <laughs> for this movie. Uh, and so she asks the front desk for Zalman uh, and goes to the real Zalman's place to explain that she couldn't leave her grandfather alone after he had an episode. That's why she wasn't there to meet him to go find Jeff Goldblum. Uh, and she also says that she's in love with him, <laughs> but but that. Obviously, Louis not there because that's the real Zalman's place. And Zalman is inside uh, and he's like doing some kind of like, weird exercise thing. And he hurts himself in boiling hot water. Right. <laughs> he, like stumbles over and it's like, ah, and she takes his like moans of pain to be like, I guess you don't want to see me anymore. And <laughs> she and so she leaves and she leaves an envelope full of cash by the door. Uh, and then it shows her back at her place uh, and she's taking care of her grandfather who's like falling out of bed and he's like having trouble breathing. Uh, also a very dark scene because she's saying to her grandfather, like, I, I just want you dead before my next birthday. Can you can you do that for me, please? You're a burden to me. This is no way for you to live. Can you please just die already? And the grandfather's like, yeah, I'm trying. <laughs> like, like he's not saying that, but like in his facial expression, that's like what he's like, what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 revealed to be quite a uh, classic mix of up, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is pretty great. So, yeah, the whole like the grandfather stuff was real and the whole thing was like, oh, she couldn't leave his side. And that's why she didn't meet up with Louis slash Zalman. But she can't find Louis because he's not actually or he's not actually Zalman. She thinks he's right. Zalman, but, he, you know, it's a whole crazy rigmarole that uh, is going on with all the characters here. Uh, and then Goldblum is at a book signing because the Jesus photos have taken off in yes. that grandfather scene. You see like a commercial for all the uh, Jesus stuff and she's not looking at the TV, but you see Goldblum's face mm -hmm. uh, on there uh, and that kind of thing. Uh, so Goldblum is at a book signing and he's like signing stuff, you know, he's Jesus and everything. And people are excited about it. And he sees Sybil at the book signing. She's not there for the book signing. She's just there at the bookstore. Uh, and then she leaves the store and he is like following her out. He gets out of there. And as he's leaving and like starts telling her, he gets swarmed by these old ladies who think he's actually Jesus. Uh, <laughs> um, and they're like, there's this blind kid on a bridge. Right. And uh, they're like, you, you have to cure his blindness. Please do whatever you can. And he's like, I'm, I'm not Jesus. I don't know what you want me to do. And like, they're basically like bullying him into yeah. putting, putting his hand on the kid's head and blessing him. Uh, and then when, when he does, there's this other guy in the, uh, in the park who is hitting golf balls. Uh, and that guy hits a golf ball 
and the golf ball hits the kid on the head as Goldblum is, you know, holding his hand on his head, and it cures the kid's blindness. <laughs> The whole thing is so funny right before that, too, because, like, he starts saying a bunch of, like, fake Latin words. Yes. Uh, and like he's like, uh, you know, uh, uh, habeas corpus, uh, whatever. And he's, like, just <laughs> yeah. saying, like, nonsensical stuff. And then the kid gets hit by the golf ball and stands up and takes his sunglasses off and looks at the world in wonder. And uh, it's very funny. Yeah, he regains his sight, which is incredible. And this is where Goldblum starts to believe he might actually be Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> He's like figuring that out. Uh, and I think another one of my favorite scenes is like right after that, when he's like negotiating a pay raise at the, uh, at the mm-hmm. place uh, with Norbert. And uh, you know, he wants 500 a week and it's like, well, I could do 350. It's like 500 and it's like 400. Okay. 400 plus my uh, travel expenses. Uh, <laughs> and Norbert's like, you walk here. And it's like, I walk expensively. <laughs> and he leaves <laughs> out. Um, so yeah, Goldblum is like starting it, the, it's starting to go to his head. He thinks he's actually Jesus. And then, Louis and Goldblum are like doing a shoot together. Louis spots Sybil's dress in a crowd, the dress that he bought her. Uh, and then he's like running into the crowd. And then it, he sees everyone in the crowd as Sybil. It's very yeah. like being John Malkovich, like Malkovich, Malkovich uh, mm-hmm. scene, uh, which is pretty great. You see like Natasha Richardson in like a police outfit. And like, then she's like doing like people crossing the street and all that. And like half of them are wearing the dress that, <laughs> that he bought her. Uh, and when he does this, when he shouts out Sybil and runs into the crowd, that's when Goldblum realizes She's the woman that Louis was talking about before. Right. So, so now Goldblum knows that Louis is in love with Sybil and he thinks they were actually together, but in fact, they were just doing like a voiceover sex scene. Right. Uh, but Louis has no idea that Goldblum was the guy that Sybil was talking about. Yes. This movie is sounding much more complicated than it actually is. Like, it, it's as like, you describe it. It's weirdly hard. It was honestly like weirdly hard to keep track of when, when things were and then who was who <laughs> and what was happening. But yeah, so he goes into a store. That's called Sybil's. Maybe maybe she's here. And, you know, the people at the front of the store, uh, it's like a massage therapy place. And, you know, the guy they're talking to the guy at the front and, you know, he kind of distracts him for a bit. And the guy's like, I think this guy's a cop. (laughs) It's kicked out. Uh, But he leaves a card, which she receives. So Sybil works upstairs. And so she gets the card like she's able to travel over there. Goldblum is on the subway. There's a scene where Goldblum's on the subway and he's already having this sort of like crisis because he realizes that Sybil and Louis may have been together, but he's also thinking to himself like he might be Jesus. And so there's Mm -hmm. a lot of like conflicting things going on in Goldblum's head right now. Uh, Not helped by the fact that as soon as he gets off the, uh, the train, uh, the woman, a woman recognizes him from the Jesus photos. And she's like, nah, there's a man who could really save the world. <laughs> like, I'm too busy to do it myself, but you, you can, get, you, you got can it. Do it. You got this. Uh, and that's great. And then he's going up the stairs and there's another blind man there. There's a homeless <laughs> guy who's blind and he goes over to him and he starts touching him. And the guy's like, well, what are you doing? What are you doing? He's like, no, my son, please. Uh, and, he, and he starts touching his head. Uh, and it turns out this homeless guy was faking being blind to get right. <laughs> to get money and stuff. But so he starts going along with it and he takes off the glasses. It's like, you did it. I can see. And people start like <laughs> dropping coins down. It's like, thank you. Thank you. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, it's a play. Very nice. And they start yes. living, giving, the, giving them tips. Yeah. So Goldblum now thinks that he has cured two blind people of their rights, <laughs> even though he has done neither. It was just a massive coincidence both times. And so now he's like fully on the I think I am Jesus train. Uh, and Norbert decides he wants to fire Goldblum. Uh, he wants to move on from the Jesus stuff uh, and move on to John the Baptist. Basically, he's like, everybody loves John the Baptist these days. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the reason is because he hates working with Goldblum. <laughs> Yeah, I like what he says. Like, he tried to wash my feet. And yes. <laughs> Bob Hoskins is like, well, maybe he's trying to tell you something. Yeah, <laughs> that's really good. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, he wants to fire Goldblum, but uh, Louis wants to maybe recast him. Like, instead of having him play Jesus, he can play John the Baptist because nobody knows when Zalman's going to be uh, back unsick. And so Sybil arrives to see Louis. Uh, and Norbert puts her in the waiting room. He says he's busy. And then Goldblum sees Sybil in the waiting room. And then he attacks Louis. Uh, like he comes in and like Louis talk, trying to talk to him, like, well, maybe we could be John the Baptist. You know, you have to shave, but you know, people, some people think that John the Baptist was the real Messiah, Jesus, <laughs> you know, whatever, and that kind of thing. And Goldblum just attacks Louis because now he's like enraged by this relationship he had with Sybil, and he's shouting, Judas. <laughs> I I loved all of that, and he like picks up the staff or whatever, and like yes, chops Louis in the neck <laughs> with him. <laughs> this big fight breaks out. 
Yes, uh, so good. Uh, and so, like, Sybil's in the waiting room, and uh, she's asking about Zalman. Like, she went over there, and, like, she she's looking for Louis because she only knows the name Louis from the card that was left to her. Uh, right. But she she asks for Zalman because she thinks this can lead her to Zalman. Uh, and Norbert knows that Zalman is the actor who's sick, and he's like, oh, he's probably dead by now. He's been dreadfully <laughs> sick. Uh, and so she's still not knowing that Zalman isn't Louis. Uh, runs off in tears. She's so upset that she like missed her chance to be with Zalman. And so Goldblum goes after her and in the church, right? And he has like a knife and he's like lead, like leading up to her and he's about to kill her. Um, but she's like praying out loud to like the giant Jesus uh, painting that's on, on the church, you know, whatever. Uh, and <laughs> we can tell it's been a while since you went to CCP. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Uh, but, you know, she's begging forgiveness and she's and, you know, she's like, can you please forgive me for what I've done? Uh, I'm so sorry for what I did to the pianist and to, and to Zalman and all this stuff. And so Goldblum like has this change of heart behind her uh, and he says, I forgive thee. <laughs> yeah. Um, which she thinks is the actual Jesus speaking to her from on high, like from the painting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so Goldblum like disappears. He vanishes from the church and that's, that's it. <laughs> she thinks he's the actual Jesus. At no point does she reunite with Goldblum in this movie. <laughs> Thank God. Really? Yeah. Uh, and so the next time you see Goldblum, he's, uh, he's by the river and he's praying and Louie finds him. And, uh, Louie has started to like piece together some of the stuff that's going on and he's t- saying to him like, you know, you're not the actual Jesus. And like, you know, I-, I just wanted to know, do you know a woman named Sybil by any chance? And when he asks that Goldblum has vanished, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he has disappeared. Uh, and then you cut to like a little further down the river and Goldblum tries to walk on water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he-, he stands up and he takes a step forward and it actually looks like he's about to do it. Yeah. Like, like for a few steps, it seems like he does it. Right. Yeah. 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 Definitely. He's definitely at least in very shallow water for a couple steps. <laughs> right. So he walks for a few steps, and then immediately, like the water, he just falls right in. Yeah. Uh, and drowns, and he dies. That's <laughs> that's just, that's the end for Goldblum in this movie. He just vanishes. Yeah. It's uh. It's pretty great. Uh. And so he dies. Day or two later, uh, Louis is carrying Goldblum's remains. Like they, they went and they got him cremated and he's walking through the park. He gets a free film ticket in the park and he goes to the like the free screening. Uh, and it happens to be the porno movie that uh, he and Sybil were recording earlier in the movie. Uh, and, he rec- and he recognizes the sounds that, <laughs> that they yeah. were making during that sex scene. And Sybil happens to also be in the theater. She's behind him and she spots him. Uh, and she's like, he's like, Zalman, Zalman, you're here. And, and right. he's like, and he's like, oh, Sybil and all that stuff. And people are like, hey, can you be quiet? And she's like, this is my movie. And she starts making the noises to prove that it's mm-hmm. her in the movie. And it perfectly syncs up with like the noises that are happening on screen. Uh, so she's still calling him Zalman. And like they leave the theater and she's declaring her love for him and not for Goldblum and, you know, all that stuff. And, you know, they, they finally kiss. Uh, yeah. And then, and then Louis drops Goldblum's remains <laughs> and, and they scatter in the wind. It is a incredibly dark joke that I really loved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the whole thing was very funny. Like, the, like he's, you know, having this kind of depressive episode in the park and the guy comes up to him and he's like, oh, you want a ticket to a world premiere or whatever yeah. he says and he takes it and then he goes and he sits down and he's all sad and the lights go down and I forget what the title of the movie is, but I was like, oh my God, is this a porn? Um, <laughs> it's like Wild Jungle or something. And then, I definitely wrote down the title. Hold on one second. Amazing. Cinema Flank? I think this, if I'm reading my handwriting right, I think it was called Cinema Flank. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, maybe. Um, but yeah, so like it shows up and I was like, oh no. Uh, and then, and then like the sounds, the, you know, the, the, the dubbing kicks in and you're like, oh my God, this is the movie, the porno movie they did. Um, yeah. But that was the, like, that was one of my other very big laughs. Like when the, what you, when, when I realized it's a porno one <laughs> that he got it to right. get to. Uh, and then, and then that whole thing also like this kind of like weird, uh, when Harry met Sally thing where she's like doing the sounds uh, <laughs> to the movie to prove that it's her in the movie. Um, yep. Fun times. Yeah. So he, he drops Goldblum's remain. They scatter in the wind. Uh, and then she notices that Louis has the watch that the girl was going to give her. Right. Uh, and she asks how he got it. And he's like, oh, blah, 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 blah. and then 
freeze frame credits roll. Uh, and I am also left with the same question. Wait, how did he get the watch? <laughs> so I don't remember. Like Maybe there was something I missed. Was there a scene in the movie where he had got a watch from somewhere or anything like that, Mike? Um, I don't remember, honestly. I don't think so. But she, yeah, I, I know that. I remember, like, obviously at the end. And she's like, no, I'd know that watch anywhere. And then freeze frame. Uh, Roll credits. Weird. <laughs> yeah, that's really weird. <laughs> like that watch was such a, a huge part of the story. It's why everything happened, right? right. Like it's the re- she wanted the watch, and that's why she ended up like you know trying to seduce Goldblum and all that stuff. And like he, Bob Hoskins has the watch, and again she's still calling him Zalman. She's like Zalman, why do you have the watch? Uh, and so it's just so weird. Like how did that even? How did he get the watch? Was it Gold? So did Goldblum have it? I don't remember if we ever see that or not. Maybe not. Hmm. Maybe. And like maybe Zalman took it or Louis took it from the uh, from the body when he cremated yeah. it or something or whatever. I'm not exactly sure how that happens. But yeah, I that that is the end of the favor of the watch and the very big fish. A movie that I thought was pretty fun. I I, re- I really enjoyed it. Uh, and it ends in a really weird place because again, she never finds out that he's not Zalman. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure that's the next conversation they have right after the credits roll. But like. She never finds out he's not Zalman. She never runs into Goldblum again. And uh, Louis never like officially finds out that like Goldblum and Sybil were once that couple. Like he kind mm-hmm. of suspects it by the end, but he never officially figures that out. So it feels like there's a lot of like loose ends <laughs> at the end of this movie. But yet somehow it all feels like it wraps up very tightly. Yeah. Yeah. It's got a, it's got enough of the uh, enough of the mix em ups to kind of keep me guessing throughout all, the whole runtime. And then it, they, they come back together. They finally meet, you know, or reunite. So like, I, I feel like it, it feels like there's a closure there. So you're like, yeah. ah, whatever. Who cares? <laughs> exactly. So that is uh, the favor, the watch and the very big fish. And uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. It, it sounds like uh, I might have enjoyed it a little bit more than you did, Mike. But maybe I talked you into it as we were. <laughs> Yeah, as we were talking about. I mean, I I was definitely not negative on this movie. uh, So this is one of the ones that's a little easier to, uh, you know, convince me to be positive on. But, you know, mostly I kind of in in judging uh, these Euro Goblin movies, a lot of my reaction, my my bar to judge against is like, would I rather watch this or the tall guy? And it's the tall guy for this one. Also, most of sure. most of them, it's the tall guy. <laughs> yeah. I feel like for, for all the Euro Goldblum movies, I think the tall guy has been the standout. Yeah. Uh, sure. You know, I mean, that's what it's framed twisted obsession. The tall guy or framed as an HBO movie. Yeah. Uh, although it, it also took like... place in. Yeah, <laughs> it kind of feels, I mean, it was the same time period. There's uh, English people in it. Uh, yeah. And it took place in Paris for a little bit. So it kind of counts. Uh, but Twisted Obsession, The Tall Guy, and Mr. Frost are kind of the ones that are in that era. Beyond Therapy a few years before that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and easily The Tall Guy is the best of those. But I think this is second best. Oh, yeah, yeah definitely. I, I, would, I would go as far to say that. Yeah, that, that tracks. They're both they're both kind of light, silly, farcical, fun times. And, you know, I could use that, especially depending on how much uh, how yes, tomorrow yesterday went from when this episode comes out <laughs> exactly uh so yeah all right so that's the favor of the watch and the very big fish let's move on to some letterbox reviews for the movie uh there are only 17 reviews for the movie on letterboxd uh, wow. so again not a, a hugely popular movie there but here's a three-star review from the poetic critic uh which reads the fish is a red herring the movie is low-key delusions are more fun than assumed identity Ooh. yeah i like that one i like that yeah. rhyme scheme that was good yeah, that was good <laughs> Uh, it, uh, the, the fish is a red herring. It makes no sense. Why is the fish there? Yeah, yeah. And it's uh, literally a red herring because a red herring is a fish. I get it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> correct. It, it works. It works on multiple layers. Uh, here's a, a, a two <laughs> star poetic critic. <laughs> uh, here's a two star review from Zach. But do you ever watch a pup named Scooby Doo? Um, uh, yes. <laughs> I, I feel like there was I feel like we've had this conversation before, but there was a character on that show named Red Herring. <laughs> right. Yes. And it's just a kid with red hair who Fred always thinks is the guy who did it, but then never did it. Uh, <laughs> it's really great. Uh, that was the best Scooby-Doo show. Maybe 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo. I can give you that one. But Pup Named Scooby-Doo, man, that was great. Uh, but I'll also, uh, I'll talk about it in our discussions for next week's Mike and Mike go to the movies. Uh, I watched Scoob this weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, not good. Not a big okay. fan. All right. <laughs> we'll talk about it at another time. But uh, OK, here's a two star review from Zach, which reads. Watched this once when I was very young and then watched it again recently. I still don't quite remember what it's about. Just plain forgettable. Despite my general love for Bob Hoskins. Yeah, it's fair. Here's a three and a half star review from Woodpecker Brashear. 
which reads, Jeff Goldblum as Jesus? I'm in. This one's understated, very dry, and a little black, probably just like I like him. Goldblum is as funny as I've seen him, both as a piano player who doesn't look like Jesus at all. The faces he makes as he plays when his character is introduced are almost as entertaining as watching Chico play. Uh, And as the guy who not only looks like Jesus, but starts wondering if he actually is Jesus. My God, I'm so hungry. Got a nice laugh from me, as did the don't touch me, don't poke me scene. Uh, And Goldblum's attack of a violinist was hilarious. A scene containing the second fork stabbing I've seen in a week, which same for us, too. I I wonder if you watch deep cover. Uh, (laughs) Hoskins is a bit of a straight man here, but he's a good one. The story is unpredictable and possibly a little too bizarre for most people with some scenes. I'm looking at you healing with a golf ball scene uh, and a punchline that I don't think I liked very much, but the goat humping, the statue of a monkey strangling a woman. Seriously, what what is that? And the beggar's sign, which reads, I'm a bladen. Uh, the, so the, the beggar pretending to be a blind man, his uh-huh. sign says, I am a B-L-I-D-N, <laughs> which <laughs> possibly to sell the idea that he's blind because yep. he misspelled the words. Uh, made up for the stuff in this that didn't work. This will have to hit the right people at the right time, but I'm really glad I watched it. Look at that. Yeah, there you go. Here's a, a three and a half star review from Morgan, which reads, this is among the strangest films ever watched. At the beginning, it seems like there isn't going to be much of a discernible plot because everything is only loosely connected until Jeff Goldblum's character properly shows up. After the plot became more evident, I began to enjoy the film more. I particularly enjoyed Jeff Goldblum's character, who goes the entire movie without a proper name, partially because he was the most mentally unstable among the bunch. All three elements that are mentioned in the title do appear throughout the movie, but have varying degrees of importance. The watch is probably the most important element of the film, and the idea of favors is also quite important, but the fish is used early as a physical symbol. Thinking about the idea of a fish and its connection to Jesus particularly, it may have been a more important aspect of the film than I first assumed. Uh, so there you go. Backing me up with my Jesus fish theory. Look at that. Uh, I like it. <laughs> uh, and one more. It's a three-star review from Band-Aid Nose Man, uh, which reads, Can't ever go wrong with Bob Hoskins, I guess. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, sure, hey. sure bet on Bob Hoskins, you know, that's fair. That's fair. Bob Hoskins was the man. I remember, I mean, he died, what, 2012, 2013 or something like that. Yeah. Uh, I think his last movie was Snow White and the Huntsman, which is not a good movie. But I remember seeing that in theaters and being delighted when Bob Hoskins showed up. <laughs> <laughs> he plays like one of the dwarves in that movie. He's like one of the dwarves, like him and Nick Frost and five other guys. Amazing. And that's like perfect dwarves casting. It's great. Yeah. Uh, but all right. So that, uh, I believe wraps up, uh, the favor of the watch and the very big fish. Uh, I enjoyed it. Mike also enjoyed it. And that's good enough for us. Uh, yeah. it's also it's on YouTube right now. So if people want to check it out, you can watch it for free right there. There you go. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, that's another thing that kind of helps this movie out is like, yeah, whatever. Why not? It's on yeah, YouTube. It's, Who cares? It's a, it's a fun 85 minutes of your time. So exactly. there you go. Uh, Mike, where can we find you online this week? You can find me at MD Film Blog on Twitter and Letterboxd. And you can find me online at uh, M Smith Film Blog on Twitter, Mike Smith Film on Letterboxd, and Radio Mike Sandwich on Instagram. Uh, thanks so much for listening to The Complete Works. I'm Mike Smith. That's my decree show. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app. And if you want to contact us, you can hit us up at Jeff Goldblum Complete Works at gmail.com. You can find the rest of our podcast on Rapture Press alongside the totally original Geek News Podcast, which is a podcast about comic books and movie news and all that nerdy stuff. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at Goldblum Pod. Uh, our theme song was created by Kyle Cullen, who you can reach for your own podcast themes at Kyle's Podcast Themes at gmail.com. And our logo was designed by Jacob Honeycutt or at Jacob Honey on Twitter. Join us next week on Complete Works. Goldblum stars in a crime drama that played at the Sundance Film Festival. It's Fathers and Sons from 1992, which is also on YouTube, by the way. Just Perfect. Uh, throwing that out there in case anybody wants to uh, check that out. I believe it's another VHS quality uh, <laughs> version of the movie, uh, but otherwise it's not streaming anywhere else, so it's kind of your only option. Yep. Uh, and keep listening for our bonus episodes of Mike and Mike Go to the Movies, where this week it's Mike Makes Mike Watch. Mike made me watch Ghost, which I had never seen before. Uh, and I believe you rewatched it uh, for yes. the podcast, right, Mike? You have so much more commitment to, the, <laughs> to this than I do, I feel like, uh, because I've never had the time to like rewatch one of the movies that I'm making you watch. That's more the reason is that I have the time, <laughs> especially <Yeah. laughs> this week uh, in between jobs. So here we right. are. Right. Fair enough. And uh, I mean, you watch uh, Your Name, which uh, you had never seen before. And I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on that movie. Uh, So thanks so much for listening, guys. And remember to go for the Goldblum.